Hey, Mafia. I just want to give you a heads up on the top of the episode here that this episode was pre-recorded a few years ago, actually, and I decided to use it uh, because uh, we talk a little bit about the hit show on Hulu, The Handmaid's Tale, because it has a lot to do with infertility, and they just released a new season, uh, season four, um, just a few weeks ago. And even if you don't watch the TV show, The Handmaid's Tale, I think you might find the episode interesting because we talk a lot about infertility um, and what it has looked like over the centuries and kind of talk about the history of how mostly women were treated, infertile women were treated, and how that has kind of found its way into our modern day society. So we talk a lot about biblical references and things of that nature, and we touch on the TV show. So if you watch the TV show, I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation, but even if you don't, I think you can get a lot out of it. Special thanks to my sister, Lara, and her husband, Clark, for joining me on this one. I hope you enjoy. Does someone want to quote? Would someone like to read some scripture today? <laughs> I will be reading from Genesis 30, verse 1. Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And she said, Behold, my maid Billah, go in unto her. And she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Billah, her handmaid, and Jacob went in unto her, and Billah conceived and bare Jacob a son. Welcome to the Infernal Mafia. <laughs> I'm Kayla, and today we're talking about infertility throughout history. And we're going to discuss one of the most popular new TV shows, one of my favorites lately, The Handmaid's Tale, and talk about how it's relevant to the topic of infertility. So we're actually going to spend some time in this episode, like focusing on how infertility is framed in just over the course of history and specifically the Bible, because I feel like for better or worse, the Bible in many ways has framed our current day Western culture. This is in no way a Bible banging or a Bible bashing episode. We're just kind of approaching the topic from a historical and anthropological standpoint. Before we get started, I need to make some introductions. So you might have recognized the voice you just heard. That was a beautiful read, Laura. Thank you. That was my that was my sister Laura. You guys have already she's already joined me on the podcast before and everyone loved it. They wanted to have you back. We don't actually know if that's true because it hasn't been released yet, but I'm assuming everyone's going to love it. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. So we're having you back, but we also this time roped in your lovely husband. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you guys for, for having me here. We've ha- we're, we're barricaded in your closet right now. Um, Clark and Lara are gesturing things about wine. I don't know. We, we've built a tent inside their closet. <laughs> and you got this. He's looking for I his drink. I don't know where my drink is. 
I've lost my drink. It's oh outside. No. Oh no. Shoot. It's in the bathroom. <sighs> Time out, everyone. <laughs> this is how the magic is made. This is it. You're 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 listening to it in real time. Oh, found it. Okay. So Lara and I have poured glasses of wine. Cheers. 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 Clark has a nice cold Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. When in Texas, you drink Dr. Pepper. Sweet tea. Normally it's sweet tea. Not tonight. (laughs) Had to go big on this one. (laughs) So we've all got our, our drinks. We've, Sarah and I have started a new kind of, we'll call it a segment called Drunk Fertility, inspired by the TV show Drunk History, which the two of you turned me on to this show, which is great. And The Handmaid's Tale. And We tell you all of the the shows to watch. Keeping you up with all the happenings. You are my guide for what's relevant and, and hip with the kids. Remember, these are my younger siblings, so... Let's dive right in. Why are we doing an episode on infertility in ancient history? Number one, I think it's super interesting. But beyond that, (laughs) I thought it would be good to explore the topic because we talk about a lot in this community that infertility is taboo and it has this stigma around it. And I think in order to understand that we should retrace the source of that stigma and unfortunately it goes back a long way it's existed forever so one of our goals is to help decrease that stigma so I think this is one way we can do that I've said before I think it's a big part of it is that over centuries of time society has unapologetically treated women in such a way that their only worth is to be able to reproduce and preferably sons. Am I right? Got to carry on that name. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some would even argue that this was true even like half a century ago, which is actually quite scary. Um, and then, you know, the women who were unable to achieve this expectation were completely ostracized and thought to be worthless to the human race. So, of course, like millennia of that has an effect on society this many years later. So before we dive into The Handmaid's Tale, Laura and I are going to discuss infertility in ancient history. (laughs) Take it away, Laura. All right. Ancient Egyptians, around 3100 BC, covered a woman in beer. So beer's (laughs) been around for that long. Mm It's exciting. And force-fed her dates to see if she could keep them down to determine if she was fertile or not. Just, just th- like th- paint that picture in your mind. Woman sitting on the ground, just dousing her with beer, shoving dates down her throat, and then if she kept them down, she's she good was to go. she's good to go. I wonder how many ideas they you know they passed over before they finally went to the beer and dates because why uh, was that the one that worked? I, oh yeah. What was what was it about the combination of beer and dates? I like dates with goat cheese. I would rather drink the beer and have the dates poured on me. Yes. I mean, yes. Although that may not be great for fertility. <laughs> so, maybe the, you should have tried it. Maybe I should have <laughs> just covered myself in dates. Like Bill comes home, I'm just chugging beer, throwing dates. Maybe it's an aphrodisiac. Maybe. 
Have you you like dates? I'm, Clark doesn't like dates. I have dates, never so consumed she's... a date, so uh, <laughs> I to be de- to be determined. <laughs> okay, who's who's what about ancient India? All right, um, childless women were thought to be possessed by a ferocious goddess and could be completely cast out of the family union. <sighs> Sucks. So they, yeah, I just read that if you're infertile, your family can just be like, bye. I guess you're not worth anything. No. But so. your own parents can just... Sucks. <laughs> they were scared of that ferocious goddess, Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Kicking me out of my butt because I can't have kids. <laughs> what about China? Well, they were the ones, apparently, to introduce concubines to take on the duty of an infertile wife. So we yeah. got them. We got them. I wonder who Blame. recommended that, whether that was a male or a female who introduced <laughs> that concept. Uh I'm going to go ahead Seems and say it was a male. Something leads. tells me. Go ahead and say it was no. a male. Interesting. I'm going to take a leap <laughs> and going to say it was a male. <laughs> yeah, the, so I think the Chinese were the first culture to come up with the idea of, hey, let's substitute this person for myself. I can't have kids, so let's just go ahead and sanction rape, basically. Yep. And then, obviously, the practice of having concubines has been practiced ever since then. Or, not ever since then. I don't think it's still happening today, right? Well, I mean... mean, uh, I'm sure somewhere around the globe it's taking place. Somewhere it's taking place. I wouldn't say it's culturally acceptable in most places. Um, Okay, so ancient Rome... So now we're 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 moving towards towards modern civilization here, ancient Rome. Now we're this is close to biblical times here. Actually, it's after what we're gonna talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the inability to bear children was completely legitimate grounds for divorce. So, and and keep in mind, everyone, that up until I think it was about the mid 1600s, every single you know inability to conceive. Always the woman's fault. No pressure put on the men. No expectation for them. No even inkling that it might kind of sort of be their fault. Nothing. All fell to the responsibility of the woman until we discovered sperm, which we talked about in a episode. Let's hear it for the boy. That's the one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, we're going to get into this a little bit later, but uh, most stories from the Bible are written from the perspective of the male protagonist. And so as a result, we don't get to hear from the wife or the, the handmaid in that circumstance. And if we did, their voices might not sound too different than, than the ones that we hear on from the TV screen in The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And they might be like, um, I'm pretty sure it's his fault because he can't get it up. Like to Clark's point, you have no history of the voice of the woman or there's no responsibility put on the man for infertility until. And even when they discovered that it might be a thing, it still wasn't. And I mean, even in like the 1950s, even today, even today, even today, even today, it still happens. It's man's fault. It's less. I mean, it's not the man's fault. It's it's it's, most people are educated enough to know that that's complete hogwash. Not all. So I read this thing called the Festival of Lupercalia. And. This was in ancient Rome again, and all these priests sacrificed a bunch of goats and dogs, just threw them up on the bar- barbie, on the grill? No, we don't barbecue. On the skewer. On the, they, they skewered a bunch of dogs and goats, okay? And then these priests took took chunks of the flesh of these 
goats and dogs and just ran around whacking women on the head. Over the face. On the face with the blood from the from the sacrificial dog and or goat. And that was thought that it would supposedly cure your infertility to get whacked in the face with a bloody goat gut. Or dog gut. Or dog gut. Which would you prefer, the goat or the dog? Uh, neither. It's awful. <laughs> I don't like animals and I don't want their blood and guts on your face yeah whack you don't like uh, like slobber on your face That's so true. i think taking another level and the in, the, what's coming from the inside i think no. would even be uh, you don't like dogs in your general vicinity so. they're all right <laughs> ancient greece hippocrates so we're again we're starting to kind of start figuring things out by the time we get to hippocrates we just talked about hippocrates on our pcos awareness episode uh, he documented some th- some stuff about PCOS. Anyway, he pointed the finger at, quote, unnaturally fat women, claiming that their excess weight closed off the opening to their <laughs> cervix. Wow. <laughs> and he's quoted as saying, pregnancy is how a woman stays healthy. If she can't, she'll be weakened for life, and we all need to cover her in pessaries, cumin resins and pity until she can birth a baby because remember that's your only goal in life i'm glad that the the hippocratic oath he went a little bit of a different direction he wanted (laughs) proper care for everyone yeah Uh, but you know i know went a different route with maybe that everyone was just the men though Hmm. but it's sort of like hippocrates had some hippocrisies (laughs) (laughs) do you think you're clever what happened next? Oh, so then we get to medieval Europe. Thought infertile women were witches, and they were often exercised or burned at the stake. If not one of the cures, quote-unquote, was to drink the blood and urine of pregnant women and animals and ate everything from powdered boar penis <laughs> to the hind paws of weasels. Why, they gotta bring weasels into this. I wonder, what was it? What was it, what were the what was the boar penis powdered with? I, uh, it, it was, you have more information on that. It was like the boar penis powdered yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Like they took the boar penis, Chopped ground it, it up, huh. hung it out. Yeah, hung it out to dry, freeze dry, not freeze dry. Uh, you know, dehydrated like, dehydrated it. it, and then ground it up with their little stone things. Okay. Into a fine powder, put it in their energy shake in the morning. Okay, I'm not a chef, but that doesn't sound. <laughs> no, they didn't put it in the energy sh- shake. They mixed it in with the, the urine, ju- the urine, and the blood <laughs> of said boar <laughs> and pregnant women or animals of the pregnant boar. <laughs> boars can boars get pregnant? Oh, is that is boar the the boy <laughs> it's just pig? Just a male. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> but I I mean, how completely random is the hind paws of a weasel? I don't, were there a bunch of weasels? I don't in know. In medieval Europe? Why the weasel? It's so <laughs> random. Why only the hind paws? And I, I really feel like we're skipping over the larger issue burned that they the were state. burned at the stake. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Or practiced exorcism on. Yeah. I mean, that's also rough. Not yeah. as rough as burning at the stake, but... From the movie that I saw, The Exorcist, <laughs> some kind of torture. It's a little rough, but I mean to equate them with witches because they can't have kids. I mean, ladies, honestly, that does put things into perspective. This <laughs> goes to show when you don't know, you get scared, and you just label it as something scary like witches. I know. 
or that they were cursed somehow because, and we're about to get into why they thought that. So in the Middle Ages is when Christianity started really inserting itself as a starring role in the treatment of infertility women, accusing the woman of past sins being the cause of her infertility. They used many examples in the Bible, such as Hannah, to explain that infertility is met with God's grace and mercy or his anger and wrath. And here's where people really started distorting biblical text to fit their patriarchal structure of power in all aspects of society. And that brings us to The Handmaid's Tale. So for anyone who hasn't seen the show or you have no idea what it's about, here's a brief synopsis. Laura, jump in as well. So we're in the future, a not-so-distant future, and the government has been over the United States government has been taken over by these crazy fundamentalist Christians. And at the same time, there's been this widespread epidemic of infertility. They're trying to figure out how to repopulate the earth. And that's where handmaids come in. So like I said, the country has been overthrown by these fundamentalist Christians who take the story of, excuse me, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel from the Bible which is what Laura read at the top of the the episode. And they take that story literally and start... They basically round up all the fertile women they can find. Right. Anyone who's had a child before. Who has proven fertility. Proven that they could carry a baby before. Correct. And they enslave them. And they enslave them for these the men and women who hold... Well, the men who hold power in this new country. They're called commanders. And they use them the way they did in biblical times, where they, again, like I said, it's sanctioned rape. (laughs) And they rape these women to try to get them pregnant because their wives are infertile. So it's kind of an interesting... And the wife is present. And the wife is present for the rape. Holding the hands of the handmaid. It's all very dark and disturbing. awkward and disturbing (laughs) and so screwed up. If you like super dark, weird disturbing shit. <laughs> this is for you. But even if you don't, because I don't really like that kind of stuff, and I love The Handmaid's Tale. Right. I, I appreciate the the, soci- the the social construction that they created, uh, this world that, uh, you know, is is sort of all in the, in the mind of this author, yet it is an intriguing take on, you know, what's possible under unique circumstances. <laughs> it's 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 worth a watch if you enjoy things like that. Right. So I let's talk as it relates to infertility about the biblical context of the show. We'll co- we can come back to the show. But let's talk about the story of Jacob, Rachel and Leah and because that is the story that the characters pervert in the in the that's the whole premise of what how they justify what they're doing is this story from the Bible of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. They read that scripture before they do the the, the ceremony. Rate. Yeah, which yep. and I keep saying Jacob, Rachel, and Leah, and really the victim here is Billa. Yes, the <laughs> she's handmaid. the handmaid and yes. Zilpa. Yes. and Zilpa. Right. So many of you will have heard of Abraham. He's he's known as kind of the the father of the Jewish tradition, um, and his grandson is Jacob. And Abraham had his own infertility yeah, issues. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> he had some things. So Jacob had a really complicated life. Uh, first off, the thing he's most known for in Scripture is being a thief. 
he pretty much stole everything growing up from his brother Esau, who was his twin. Um, and so after he stole these things, he was fearing for his life. And he decides to head over to his uncle's house, far his uncle Laban, who lived you know far off, um, where he thought all might be safer and well for him there. Um, and it's there where Jacob is introduced to his cousins, his first cousins. Uh, the there's an older. Are they first cousins? They are. Do we know that they're first cousins. That's what scripture says. It's just a little inconvenient truth. Mm, okay. Kind what's the What's awkward. the myth about your like if you procreate with your cousins, like, you'll have a third eye or extra something? Extra toes. It, it I is, mean, increases the odds of those things supposedly. Maybe that made people infertile. I don't know. Maybe, so. Maybe that's why the handmaid needed to step in. I might be. Because she has, she's not. Not not blood related as far as we know. Maybe it's a, <laughs> sorry. No, go ahead. Maybe it's a, because now we know about alloimmune disorders. <laughs> Where if husband and wife or male and female are too similar, similar it doesn't always work. Nope. So maybe they had that going on maybe so. when you try to do it with your sister or your cousin Ooh. or your dad. That also happened. I know. So a uh, family reunion with some cousins. And uh, there's an older one whose name is Leah and a younger one whose name is Rachel. Um, so no problems terribly much so far, but let's oh, keep time going. Out. Isn't that a Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a redneck if you go to a family reunion looking for a date. Maybe. Sounds like Jacob was a redneck. Sounds like it. Maybe so. Uh, so from Genesis twenty nine seventeen, this is a little description. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. You know, I said this the other day, clearly written by a man. They say nothing about her personality. They say nothing about how kind she was or they were. Nope. Nothing. Only their eyes. physical description. Eyes and figure. And weak eyes, I there yeah. that can mean a, a number of things. I'm gonna let everybody what kind of create said, that. For hungry eyes would it have been a different story? Hmm. Might have been <laughs> if she had hungry eyes. I mean, what they're trying to say in so many words was Rachel was the hot sister, and Leah was she was the one with the good personality and the weak eyes. What does weak eyes mean? Like what? You my my two eye? thoughts my lazy two thoughts eye. were either yeah. yeah a lazy eye or potentially blind like not a lot of optometrists walking around in Jacob's time so maybe sh if you're sort of blind yeah you don't have any choices hmm. they're like I can't have my wife just stumbling about I mean she's got to get in the kitchen and cook I mean, and clean we get later on in the story Jacob might be the blind one though yeah. <laughs> oh it's a little foreshadowing. <laughs> Anyway, so as as some of you might have predicted, Jacob ends up falling for the younger, lovely figured, beautiful Rachel, and he asks his uncle if uh, he will allow uh, Jacob to marry her after agreeing to work for seven years um, under Laban. Um, so Uncle Laban agrees, because this is uh, many millennia ago, Laban decides to put it this way, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. So, that's not her cousin. That's not her cousin. Cool. <laughs> uh, so seven years go by of work, and it's finally wedding day. So Jacob and his bride are wed, and the next morning, Jacob wakes up to discover that he has been tricked, and he is laying next to Leah, the older sister. Oh, man. The bait and switch on the ugly sister. We guys with Jacob. <laughs> you gotta wonder what all took place that evening for him not to uh, discover it's the... 
They they took the wedding veil very very seriously. Very seriously. I mean, it was a veil. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ski mask. Uh, so Jacob immediately protests to Laban, but his uncle says he will not marry off his younger daughter daughter until Leah was married first. But then Laban comes yeah, up. Yeah, because he's like, nobody wants her. <laughs> he's like, nobody's going to take her. I have to trick someone to marry my ugly daughter. Mm. Poor Leah. So sad. Uh, but Laban agrees that if Jacob will work for him for another seven more years, then he would allow him to marry his younger daughter, Rachel, as well. So he gets so. the sisters. So Jacob agrees. Does and he know 14 years later she's not going to be as hot? Things start to sag. <laughs> you get the wrinkles. <laughs> so Jacob, he uh, he agrees. He's very uh, all-encompassed by the beauty of Rachel. So he agrees to 14 years combined of labor, and Jacob receives two wives from his father-in-law. Um, I'm already having a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> a problem with the girls not having any say in this no maybe leah and rachel maybe neither of them wanted the thief. yeah yeah they're like jacob's a dog so as you can probably assume jacob he throughout the marriage he always showed favoritism towards rachel so according to the bible god intervened at this point because uh, the sister wife thing doesn't work <laughs> right clark and I don't think I actually said your name yet on the podcast. I apologize. I didn't officially introduce you. But don't you find this story oddly uncomfortable that you are, like, enclosed in a closet between your sister and her sister? I'm just trying to stay no, focused here. He's, he's between his wife and his, his her wife. sister. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not I mean, his sister and her sister. Right. Oh, right, right. Your yeah. wife and her sister. It's we, just... We've been in this situation before. <laughs> True. Maybe we'll talk about that in Out of the Box, the times we've all slept together. Oh, boy. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so so we got we got God intervening there here in this situation. There were hot dogs involved. Wow. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Sorry, Clark. Go ahead. Uh, so Genesis twenty nine thirty one, uh, when the law when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, He so enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Blessed be you if you're not loved. May the Lord open. Praise be. <laughs> so, Wait, so hold oh, yes. on. I'm yes. sorry. I know I keep interrupting no, that's you. Good. I'm sure it's super annoying to everyone listening. But what we're what we're to gather from what you just read. Is that both sisters are infertile. They both can't have kids. Or at least Leah hasn't yet. Maybe maybe she was so ugly to him. He, he just wouldn't even. He was like, I cannot hit that. Refused to lay with her. Yeah. It's at least seven plus years into it because they are now married. And, and Rachel's in the picture. Rachel is, is number one wife at this point. So, but okay. In theory, they might both be infertile. Because they say he may, so be, so God basically feels sorry for her because she's the quote ugly sister. Jacob doesn't love her, and so he makes her fertile. Correct. That's that is, that what, is what the scripture says. implying that that's your prize is you get to be fertile because your husband doesn't love you. You are unloved. So here is a child that will love you. <laughs> wow, it's all very problematic. Go on. So so uh, the womb of. Leah has been opened, and over some period of years, four sons are born to Leah back to back to back to back. Way to go, Leah. (laughs) 
So having become jealous, Rachel says to Jacob, give me children or I will die. She's like, the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) It is happening. (laughs) Do you think that he was like favoring Leah a little bit at that point? You yeah, gotta think it's to some degree, yes. Like she gave him all the sons. sons. Yeah, yeah. Here, Rachel, was... you got. I mean, you're a good lay, but you're not doing much else for me. <laughs> so, like, do you think she was giving birth to daughters? And it's just we'll not get recorded? to that. We'll oh. get to that. But oh. that that okay. it doesn't anywhere in at that part of the story they refer only care to about any daughter. The male yeah. lineage. Uh, but anyway, so so. Rachel says, give me children or I will die. Her response is, well, I've got this slave, Billa, who was given to her as a wedding gift from her father, Uncle Laban. You know, Laban is don't, really just, don't you just, them all out. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the wedding gifts that are slaves. That's just the best kind of wedding gift, you know? From my father. Yeah. So not only does he, uh, Rachel, give this slave, Bilha, to Jacob, but he also uh, allows... Bilha to marry Jacob. So now we've got wife number three entering the picture, but she's like a subordinate to wife number two. So I'm not sure how that all is functioning around the dinner table. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, it seems almost immediately Bilha uh, gives birth to two sons, which sort of turns the tables because then Leah is now upset once again because she's not the producer of children at this point. Bilha is giving Jacob son number five and number six okay but even though she's his wife because she's a slave it's not recognized as her child like rachel gets to assume the motherhood right i i would imagine so i would imagine so yes that i am a biblical scholar (laughs) so leah being upset she decides it's her time to step in once again so she provides Zilpah her wedding gift slave <sighs> now to... we're one-upping each other with our, with our handmaids yeah yeah well you know Leah appreciates the the gamesmanship of Rachel there so she now gives Zilpah to Jacob to become the fourth wife of Jacob really to produce kids to get Leah back in the good graces so Zilpah so then, they're all stirring up drama with each other. Meanwhile, Jacob's like, I'm just having sex with four different women. And making boys. Yeah. All I care about is the boys. I, right. That's, yeah. So Zilpa then has two sons of her own. So now we're up to eight boys from three of Jacob's four wives. And not a girl has been mentioned. Nope. I bet there were girls. some in there, though. <laughs> yeah. They get mentioned. One gets mentioned. <clears throat> So Leah is still not feeling, you know, wanted at this point. She's still not feeling valued, despite the fact she produced the first four sons. She's still, uh, I guess, worried about the weak eyes or something. And uh, <laughs> she's feeling insecure. <clears throat> Genesis. So thir- she whines to God about it. She whines. Genesis thirty seventeen says that God listens to Leah. She whined. And she became pregnant. Some call it pray. Poor <laughs> whining. And she becomes pregnant once again with another boy, number nine. Mm-hmm. There we go. And then to 12. Leah also followed that up with another boy, number 10, and then a girl. Mm. Mm. A girl is finally mentioned. Who's the first one after 10 boys. So maybe that is girl number one, actually. Maybe there were others before. Uh, she actually, her name is Dinah, and she 
actually Dino, has some. Blow. Dino, won't you blow? Dino, won't you blow your horn? I said horn. I could have said something else. She has. She's involved in drama later on in this family, but yeah. uh, but for now, that that'll be the end of her story in this one. Um, so Genesis thirty twenty two. Uh, then God remembered Rachel. It's so just, forgotten. It's, it's so forgotten. what are we at a love um, pentagon at this point? And then there's the ten boys and the one girl yeah, so yeah jacob at the top and then rachel leah billa zilpa. zilpa yeah rough names and then rachel <laughs> you don't see a lot of people now naming their kids zilpa no maybe maybe lots of rachels and leahs though true. but not a lot of zilpas really stuck around mm-hmm. which that'd be real unfortunate i'm glad my name is not rachel or leah do you think for- i'm sorry to all the rachels and <laughs> leahs listening so, verse 22, um, Rachel then, after all this time, uh, she ha- gives birth to her first child, a son, whose name is well, Joseph. hold on, hold on. As the verse says, then God remembered Rachel, he listened to her, and he enabled her to conceive. It's all up to God. Like, is the takeaway here. <clears throat> right? Yeah. Like That it, is all you can draw from the... Yeah. It's all in his hands whether or not you are barren or fertile. Under his eye. <laughs> okay. So that's basically the end of that story, well, right? Oh, we, I'm we sorry. Got, we got one more piece of the okay, puzzle for Rachel, me. and then we'll kind of close this one up. So following a gr- there over a number of years, there's a there's a lot of turmoil that goes on in this family, uh, some incestual stuff. It's, it's kind of ugly. But then, uh, kind of. well, and then it continues to be ugly because Rachel becomes pregnant once again, gives birth to Jacob's last child, Benjamin, but she dies during childbirth. Oh. All right, so that is the story that they use in The Handmaid's Tale to justify what they're doing. So let's talk about just the themes of infertility with that and maybe overarching that, just like the overall uh, oppression of women 5,000 years ago and now. <laughs> right, so I, I read this There's blog. Heavy that has themes a- here. There was a blog that had a pretty good uh, take on The Handmaid's Tale comparing it to Genesis. And it, it reads like this. The Handmaid's Tale's dystopian vision is not that far off from the world of Genesis. Aspects of The Handmaid's Tale are deliberately based on Genesis. Genesis gives legitimacy to the rituals and rule in Gilead. In Genesis, the handmaids are property of the mistress, sometimes given as wedding gifts by their fathers. The mistress has the power to turn them over to her husband as a cure for her barrenness. The biblical text established a situation in which the sexual exploitation of the handmaid's fertility is permitted, even encouraged and celebrated as a strategy for nation building. Mm. I'm just glad I don't live in biblical times. Not that I could be a handmaid because I'm infertile. So... So you'd be I, holding hands with somebody. I would, while or they got raped, or I only if I was a woman in a in a quote married to a man in a power position. If I was a, if Ooh, I was, Bill might be a commander. You think so? You could see it. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> no, but, I mean, as someone who has walked the path of infertility for a long time now, it's interesting to see the roles flipped 
in that show, which is like in a weird way, oddly refreshing. The role is like revert, like where we feel like the oppressed Mm. one, nobody understands us, nobody gets it. Uh, There's not as many like... yeah, yeah, there's just, like, not a very good understanding of infertility and society is sort of it's a taboo topic, blah, blah, blah. And in this case, they flip it on its head and make the infertile person the bad guy. Mm. And so it's an in, it, from the perspective of the infertility community, I don't love that <laughs> because it may it paints a very kind of like one dimensional picture of but infertile also women. Like the infertile like the the men are the creators of the society. Yeah. So in a way it's not the infertile women. There's a there's a part of the show that you're like rooting for some of the infertile women to like step it up. Like what's her name? Serena. No, Serena. Yeah. She you but, know she wears the pants in that relationship. Right. Very clearly is wearing very, very clearly. Very nicely tailored expensive pants. At Green that. ones. Yeah. <laughs> but She's the brains of the operation. Yeah, and it makes you feel like those men who are the leaders are just like... They have all the power. Have all the power, but are complete dumbasses. And see, that hasn't changed. Like, I mean... (laughs) No offense, Clark. (laughs) Since talking about the way it was from the story that Clark so illustriously... Relayed to us while we were interrupting him the entire time (laughs) to present day. I just feel like I I just I don't know. I still feel like, yeah, women have a lot of say, obviously, in what happens to them now and especially their fertility. But there's still a societal expectation on women. Oh, yeah. And to produce families and yes. play, play the role to play, play the, the part. role yeah to play the part and there's just less of that expectation on men because they can't well seemingly they can't that's what the most men will say what that they can't well they can't bear children so or the, raise them or feed them oh, or yeah. do any of the change things. them yeah change their diapers <laughs> <laughs> whatever it may be but there's there's still those underlying kind of just societal roles that people take on because it's just kind of been ingrained in, in you. And it all comes back to story. You know, it comes from somewhere. There's a reason that we behave that way. Jacob seemed to be plenty fertile. But we I mean, we, I guess. What if what if you had a couple who the like. 30% of couples today, <laughs> the infertility is with both partners. You could go handmade after handmade, still mm-hmm. nothing happening. Yeah. What happens to that couple? They're cast out, worthless. Well, you... There's no such thing as like a male handmade. That's what I mean. Right. But I bet there was. I bet someone was like sneak, like they did in the handmaid's mm-hmm. tale. Yeah. Because like, what's his name is infertile. Here's my driver. Well, here's my like goat herdsman. Yeah. Here's the, the milk guy. Man. Who, the, the milkman comes in. Right. No, but goat milkman. It's it's interesting and that then you... the baby comes out and doesn't look like Jacob, and everyone's Whoops. real suspicious. Whoops! Maybe Benjamin was the only one that was really Jacob's. Mm. Oh, dun dun dun! <laughs> the plot thickens. No, oh. but that that was another thing that I had a little bit of an issue with. 
that they didn't address male infertility in The Handmaid's Tale. No, they don't. They gloss it, over it. They totally gloss over it, except to say that they do... They do recognize Recognize it, it mm-hmm. with the main couple or whatever. Right. And there's great, there's great shame behind it for the man, even though it's quickly glossed over in the next scene and forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. But you, it's implied that it would be absolute, like, just devastating. Why is it, why is all the shame put on the woman that's infertile? Like, or I'm, excuse me, like, why, why can't it even be talked about that the man is infertile? Like, why would that be, like, being, how come there's not male handmaids is what I'm saying. I would say probably the male patriarchal society, the power structure like, the way it's impossible. all been set up. I can't be infertile. Right. Male chauvinist pig. And even, I mean, you, you think just physically, the man is seemingly doing his part by, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what they thought in biblical times. Right, right. But my point is, if this is supposed to be in the future, when we have things like science and technology and doctors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then to me, that's a bit, that's like one critique I have of the show is that is a huge plot uh, discrepancy that they are like that well they and, don't take that into right. consideration it's a completely male-run society they don't even let the women read so the men have all of the power so how dare you insult them by saying that it is their problem even if they know it's true yeah. because if it renders if the pollution in the air renders women infertile of course it would render men infertile as well mm, nope. got some shooting blanks nope. men, it has are, sperm. men are above that they have two tails. They have a football-shaped head. The sperm I'm talking about. Right. I understand. They have a giant, like, dad-sized head. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> like his actual head. I understand. I know. I shouldn't make our father into this. <laughs> I should stop. It's a great show to wrap it up. Like I said, if you like... A different kind of twist on infertility, for one, that's one theme, but um, from a larger picture, just kind of an interesting take on society. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, from a, from a sociological perspective, it's definitely it's definitely a top five show for me that's going on right now. Um, I'm always excited to watch it when a new one comes out on Hulu, um, but it's it's extremely dark, and a lot of times you need to watch a a comedy or something after to kind of get your mind right. Yeah, yeah. you got to balance that. You do a lot of crying. You do a lot of crying. Season two, I cried almost every episode. There was ugly crying. Ugly crying going it's on. Bad. So watch it. Let us know what you think about it. <laughs> if you like to ugly cry, send us an email to infertilemafia at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Um, okay, so out of the box. We're oh, going to move on, but we're going to stick with the Bible a little bit. Do you need to sing the song? Sarah's not here though. The B I B L E. No, the out oh. of the box song. <laughs> out of the box. <laughs> out of the box. There. I was gonna sing the Bible song. The B I B L E. That's the book, book for, for me. B I B L E. Okay. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read some crazy biblical passages. Is this like Bible trivia? Like we it's have a to little guess, bit of Bible we trivia. We have to guess what like book it came from. Yes, you uh, can read my man. mind. Because Clark's gonna like nail it on. He's gonna do better than I am because he had like Bible categories and like Bible Nintendo games and stuff. Growing Listen, up. I'm gonna I stop did. you right there. I'm gonna stop you right there. 
Because I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to guess which book this is from. Okay, so I'll tell you when I'm done. There's a few different passages here. Okay, here's the first one. If the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house and the men of her town shall stone her to death. Number two. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, reaches out, acts, I'm going to paraphrase here. She accidentally just grazes the junk of the other guy. Just accidentally brushes it when she's trying to break up the fight. What do you do? You shall cut off her hand. Show her no pity. That's number two. Number three. Merciless. No no pity. Are these all from the same book? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Number three. No man whose testicles have been crushed or whose penis has been cut off may become a member of the church. Mm. So if you have damaged goods, you can't. No, you're not welcome here. What about the people that only have one? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that falls into either of those categories. It doesn't. <laughs> so if you have one ball, you're good. Uh, all right. So which book do we think these are from? Well, those are probably all from Leviticus. I'm going to lean Leviticus. Could be, <laughs> could be Deuteronomy. <laughs> sure did sound like laws to me. It's from well, Deuteronomy. Yeah, Deuteronomy. They're all three from Ugh. Deuteronomy. Where does that name? Deuteronomy. That's an interesting word. A lot of dudes in the Bible. Dude. It could have logical. It could have just as easily easily been from Leviticus, though. There are just just as many crazy things in Leviticus. Well, you would do better. He had Bible Nintendo. He got it wrong. He said Deuteronomy, though. I was was the son of a preacher. Don't hold it against me. (laughs) All right. Here's now. These are stories. Okay. And what are we supposed to guess? You're going to guess who they're about. Oh, okay. Okay. So this one is one day the older daughter said to the younger. Our father is old, and there are no men around here to give us children. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him. Yeah, you heard me right. Sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. This is the lovely story of Noah. No? No? (laughs) Cut it. Oh. I thought that was Noah after the ark. No. He got drunk. He, he slept but no, with his daughter. No, he did. No, 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 no. He just was naked. They just uncovered his nakedness. Oh. Who well, was then that? who was it? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I thought you would know that one. Well, I mean, I remember the story, but I don't. It's our good old boy Lot. 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 Oh, I only remember his wife. L O T. The one who turned into a pillar of salt. salt. Turned around. She's not mentioned. She's just Lot's wife. No name. Mrs. Lot. No name. Okay. Number two. Uh-oh. We've, we're like, I'm over two. You are over two. <laughs> you need to go back to Bible school. Really? <laughs> okay. Number two. Look, I have two daughters, virgins, both of them. Let me bring them out to you and you could do what you'd like with them. Ooh. I know, this, I know where it took place, but I don't remember the, the man's name. It was in Gomorrah. Also Correct? Lot. <laughs> okay. There you go. We got two lots. Now, he says that they were virgins, so I assume this was before they slept, they with, slept with him. I mean, I'm just deductive reasoning here. Okay. Uh, any, any lots out there? Does anyone? 
Anyone married to a lot? (laughs) (laughs) Lot spelled L-O-T, like a parking lot. (laughs) Just wondering. Never met a lot. I've never met a lot either. Maybe no one wants to name their kid after this total screw-up. Maybe. Lot is kind of a screw-up. Yeah. That's what he's known for. Can you believe, though, he he prostituted his daughters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just... He wasn't the only one. Okay. This person knew that his offspring would not be his, quote-unquote. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his own life. I don't think you'll know it. No, no but I do know one. that story. Oh, yeah. We've heard that story Onan. 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 His brother died, and yes, so, right. as is custom, he was yeah. supposed to impregnate his brother's wife. To carry on his to brother's carry on line. his brother's mm-hmm. line. Yeah, he right. was like, no, I don't want to do that, because if the family doesn't go on he inherits the wealth so he's the og pull out whoops not my seed not my seed i don't know what happened okay here's the last one so the lord sought to kill this person okay then zipporah took a sharp stone (laughs) severed that penis no wait (laughs) cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at this person's feet. Who is it about? Who was married to Zipporah? Is that Moses? Oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> He's dancing in the closet. <laughs> and then I have, I have two final biblical passages for the infertility community. These are not like these are not the feel good like they're not the flowery I'm I'm not saying that those don't have their place in the world. They do. These are not that. Okay, the first one is a proverb. Okay? Um and it says let beer be for those who are perishing and wine for those who are in anguish. So if you're in anguish, Pour the wine. (laughs) Pour you some more. Your glass is empty. Sure, my glass is empty. What's wrong with this picture? And then the last one that I just thought was kind of funny. If you're Egyptian, right? Cover yourself. Cover yourself. It might help your fertility to just douse yourself in beer. Beer and dates. Beer and dates. Somebody try it. Somebody let us know how it goes. And then the last one, which is just kind of funny, is from Galatians. Who wrote Galatians, Clark? I think it was Paul. Paul, pretty sure. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's a good guess. <laughs> and it says, I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. So anybody who says a dumbass comment to you, like, just relax, or are you doing it right? Just adopt. All the... Just... Maybe nudge them in that direction. Maybe you should castrate yourself. I don't know. It's in the Bible, so you can say it. To both of you, thank you so much for joining me. It's fun to have other people come in and fill in with the Infertile Mafia, and I know you both support the infertility community in whatever way that you can, and so I appreciate you guys for coming on. If you have any other final words to share with our listeners, 
that would be great. If not, I can close this out. <laughs> Probably don't name your kids Zilpa someday. I don't. If there's any Zilpas listening, I'm really sorry again for my sister. <laughs> Just saying. Here's oh. the only thing I'll say is that we did a lot of trashing of scripture in a lot of ways in 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 this podcast and I wouldn't call it trashing. Okay, I would say we're just making light of it. Emphasizing some of the less positive yeah, exactly. aspects. And of there's a, there's a I call them inconvenient truths. Yeah, I, what truths, what I would say I wouldn't call them is um from a book I recently read um one cannot seriously engage with the stories of scripture without encountering ancient and foreign foreign assumptions about the nature of reality. We're living in a very different time than the people, Zopa and the gang. And, Zopa and the gang. <laughs> and to to look at things from a very critical eye is incredibly easy for us now. That would have been very much more, dif- uh, you know, it's a, dis- a different time. And so I just want to kind of throw that out there. It's not a trashing of scripture. It's just a critique of knowing what we know today. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. So, And get- I would hope that nobody feels like they read or, or maybe that I hope that no one has heard before. And I'm sure that there have been some people who have heard that they're um, ability or inability to produce children is a result of their sin or God's favor or God's favor for them because that is not the God that I believe in and I I hope that it is not the God that you find in your life someday if you you know have any relationship with God he I don't think that he micromanages us in our wombs let me put it that way. Get God out of the womb. <laughs> no, I mean, those are both great points. To give you some context, the three of us grew up in, I don't know, evangelical Christian homes, call it. So, but we don't, um, in our adult life, we don't take the Bible literally, Um we take the good with the bad. We understand that they were humans and they were flawed and it was written by men. And, you know, it's not a perfect. In the seriousness that we take the Bible, <laughs> we can see the benefit and the good in the it. The humanity in it and also the divine in it as well. Yes, that that's a beautiful way to say it, Clark. I agree. And. Laura, to your point, I also hope that no one has been made to feel less than or um, inferior by Christian culture, specifically because you are infertile, because you're not. And I agree with Laura, that's not the God I believe in. And um, if that is the case for you, I I don't even know what to say. Sincerely apologize Right. Our society revolves in in church cultures around family, and it's really unfortunate for people that find themselves without family, whether that is due to infertility or single or just their own choice or their own choice. Exactly. There are it, it's it, the church revolves around families. And so it's it's hard. For, yeah. So. And we've said a million times on this podcast that we believe that your worth as a human is in no way 
um, wrapped up in your ability to ability to conceive or not. And so, again, like we've said many times before, like, don't look for your worth in that. And there's so much more to you than that. And we're getting way too, <laughs> way too deep. deep. So, a little deeper. <laughs> so we're going to end it there. Just a reminder, everyone, join our closed Facebook groups, The Infertile Mafia and The Infertile Mafia Bosses and Babies. Follow us on Instagram at Infertile Mafia Podcast. Again, feel free to send us an email to infertilemafia at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to hear more talk about eggs and balls and stuff and maybe the occasional biblical nugget of truth or maybe other tv shows or movies maybe there's some you don't know about you already, right. you already did a lot on hollywood yeah but, but maybe I mean, there's more we'll keep talking about it that was a super popular episode so we'll keep talking about it and as always thanks for joining the infertile mafia <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs>